Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Betty with the message. Well, my name is Betty. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Um, There was a time this last fall where I was not able to be with you for a little while, and I missed this church and this community very deeply. And the last time that I shared, which was earlier in the spring, I gave a little snippet of um, some things that happened in the life of my husband and I right after we got married. So I got married in September, and um, the last time that I spoke, I talked about how we went on our honeymoon. It's the most exciting time. We did the safari in Africa, then we got COVID and got stranded there. And then we um, ended up being in Canada for four months, and the details of that I can't really go into. Both of those places are amazing places, but they were not home, right? They weren't the life that we were expecting to start. And so we were longing to come back. We were planning on closing on a house, and this kept getting delayed and delayed. We didn't know if it was going to be possible. And then finally, we got the green light that we were going to be able to come back and we were going to close on our house right before the end of the year. And so we were going to cross the border right before Christmas. We wanted to be here for Christmas, celebrate Christmas Eve with our church family, and be home, have our first Christmas together as a married couple. And so as we were planning this trip to cross the border, we found out that there was going to be a wicked blizzard. And I've lived in Canada before. My husband has lived in Canada before. I've lived in in the Midwest where there are wicked winters. We've seen blizzards before. And so we said, okay, it looks like we're just going to catch the beginning of it. No big deal. We'll just take our time. We'll drive slow. It's going to be fine. We just want to make it home. We want to be home for Christmas. We want to be home so that we can close on this house and start our life together that we've been excited about. So we start our trip, again, two days before um, Christmas, and we drove really slow, but we're like making it, you know, the roads were a little sketchy, but we're okay, we're playing it safe. We get to the border, we're held up there for a little bit, and then the officer tells us that they were starting to close the highways surrounding Buffalo and that they were actually going to start giving tickets to anybody that was out on the road. And so we talked about this a little bit, and it was so frustrating because we look outside, and yes, it was getting it a little gnarly, but it was just the beginning of it. And again, we had been longing to go home, so we didn't want to be stuck here overnight. We just wanted to make it out. And Buffalo is the worst, right? They have this lake effect, and so whenever they get a blizzard, they get dumped on. It's bad. And so we were looking at everything, and we called some friends that were in Altoona and asked how things were here. And it was cold, it was windy, but it was nothing crazy. So we said, okay, Let's just make it out. We're just going to make it out of the city, and then it should be fine. So we pull out onto the highway, and it was like driving into a whole other world that I I have never experienced before. It was like somebody took a white blanket and just threw it over our car. We could not see the hood of our car, let alone the road. And immediately, we switched to survival mode. Okay, we're not getting home. 
not getting home today. Let's just make, let's just survive. That's what we're going to do. And so we just start inching along. I put in a hotel into our GPS, just trying to find some shelter. Thankfully, we didn't make it far, and so we were close to downtown. There was a hotel just a few blocks away. We said, all right, let's, let's make it there. And so we're literally inching, just like hoping to see little glimpses of the guardrail so that we don't you know, go off the road. We're like following the turns of the GPS as the road is curving, hoping that we stay on the street. At one point, there was a car that came slowly by us. The only reason we saw them is because we were blocking the wind from them. So we're like seeing them inch by. They have their four ways on and we thought, this is great, they can lead us. But then as soon as they got in front of us, gone, disappeared. It was unbelievable. So finally, it took us, what, at least a half hour, 45 minutes to make it just a few blocks to the closest hotel. Our GPS told us that we were there, but we couldn't tell. There was a hotel next to us, a good 12 stories tall, and we could not see it at all. So Chris just starts turning, hoping and praying that we're turning into a parking lot. And by the grace of God, we did. <laughs> we gather what we can from our car that we'll need for the night. We battle the like 30-foot walk into the entrance of the hotel, which was like, <laughs> you know, just crazy. We make it in. We're like, we don't even care if there's a room. We will camp out on this lobby floor. Like, we just need to survive. Thankfully, there was a room. There was a room for us. The people there were amazing, and of course, they were going to be stranded there as well, so we just tried to make the most of it. We get up to our floor, and there's this huge window covering the whole wall, and all you can see is white. We have no idea if there's any other buildings around. The steel structure is creaking, and we can hear the whole, or feel the whole building swaying. This happened for two days straight. We thought, oh, we're just going to be stranded here for the night. Five days later, we made it out. <laughs> it, was, it was not how we expected to spend our first Christmas. In fact, on Christmas Day, we had our, our, our dinner. <laughs> they had no chefs there to make us food. They just had whatever leftover snacks were available. They were trying their best. These people... God bless these people. They were trying their very best with what they had. And here we were, stranded, stranded on Christmas Day with 30-some strangers eating corn chips and pepperoni slices. You know when pepperoni's been out for a while, it's kind of shiny? We're eating shiny pepperoni slices and corn chips for our first Christmas dinner together with 30-some strangers in this hotel just trying to survive, all just together trying to survive. <laughs> So it wasn't what we expected. We were just longing and longing to go home. And there's something so extra vulnerable about being away from home and not having things go the way that you hoped, the way that you expected. And we've been walking through this series of First Peter where the people of God have been driven out from their home, they've been exiled. This was probably not how they expected to, to spend their life when they accepted this good news of the gospel. And they were suffering severely in this, in this new place, as strangers in this foreign land. And so Peter is writing to them, trying to give them hope, trying to give them encouragement and 
to give them instruction to do the best they could with what they had. And so we saw he reminds them of this new identity that they have in Jesus. And he reminds them not to fall into the temptation of worshiping idols in this foreign land. And ultimately, over and over, he instructs them on how to suffer well. And then we see here, we are now in chapter 5, that he's starting to wrap this up a little bit. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I will be reading from the NLT, so if you have version or an app on your phone that you would like to follow in that version, feel free. And then on the screen, you'll see the verses as well. It will be in NIV, so the words might be slightly different, but you'll still be able to follow along with the end of this letter. So chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And now a word to you who are elders... In the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigning, assigned to your care but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he'll place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. As we look into um, this chapter, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would continue to illuminate your word to us, and we thank you for the ways that you have shown up as we have walked through this book. I pray, Holy Spirit, that whatever you want to communicate, that that is what would come out, and that if there's anything I say that's not of you, that it would just fall to the ground and not be remembered. But I pray that what what is of you would stick, and that it would deeply move in our hearts, including mine. We thank you so much for your word and and the hope that we can find in it. In Jesus' name. Amen, sorry. Peter, in the beginning of this chapter, reminds the readers a little bit of his credibility he has on this subject, that he's not a stranger to suffering. 
He also talks about leadership, and he's, he's a leader as well, right? So he's identifying with them. He's showing them the credibility that he has on this subject. And he's also very familiar with pride and with humility. So throughout this whole section, we can see that he is encouraging them to live in humility in, in all things, in leadership, in the way that you follow, in the way that you respond to the suffering around you. And Peter is no stranger to both pride and humility. We see this attitude of Peter throughout the gospel, which is so fascinating, and he has this boldness and kind of this impulsivity sometimes, and, and I don't know that it's always prideful. I think he has this, this passionate personality, and it's beautiful the way that that applies to the way that he followed Jesus, but we do see times when, when pride comes in, and one of the strongest examples of that is right before Jesus was going into his last days, he's talking to his disciples and he tells them, you're all gonna abandon me, you're all gonna deny me. And Jesus, or um, Peter is like, Jesus, no, what are you talking about? And you can kind of see this attitude of like, I'm, a, I'm the best disciple, like I, I've got this. I'm not gonna do that, no way. And Jesus says, no you're going to deny me three times. You're not just going to deny me once. You're going to deny me three times. And again, Peter says, no way, no way, right? I, I've got this. I am a good disciple. I've got this. We see this pride in him. And then over the course of the next week, we see that he does deny Jesus, just of course, as Jesus said that he would. And once the rooster crows and that is triggered where, where Peter recognizes that Jesus was right, the beautiful thing is that we see this shift in him of repentance and humility and this recognition that he, he really didn't have it all together. He really wasn't as in control as he thought he was. He really didn't have the, the power that he thought he did to do everything perfectly. And so he, he knows pride and he knows humility. And we also see that what was happening in the culture at the time is that um, there were so many broken systems and there were leaders and there were um, just patterns in the world that were very oppressive and abusive and people who were doing things for their own gain and their own power. And Peter is reminding them that in light of all of this, in the ways that you have suffered under this oppressive system, set a new example. Don't fight pride with pride. Don't fight control with control. But instead, set an example of humility just as Christ did. I remember when I was in middle school, there was one day where I was in my study period. We were sitting in the cafeteria. Everyone was doing homework. And there were these boys in my class that started bullying me. I don't remember why. I don't remember anything about what was leading up to that moment at all. But I remember that it escalated and escalated, and there must not have been a teacher in the vicinity at the time. And so I remember it got to the point where the boys grabbed all of my stuff and just started throwing it around the cafeteria, like my notebook, my binder, my book, like just, you know. And I was 
admittedly a bit of a pushover. So I was, I was just taking it, just trying not to cry. I was overwhelmed. I just shut down. I was just letting it happen. And I was, I remember standing there just kind of frozen and embarrassed and kind of shocked. And there was this kid in my class. And if anybody in my class, I would say this kid is the one that had it all. Right? He was like the star of the football team, you know, the most athletic. He was musical. He was smart. He, um, all of the guys wanted to be his friend and be like him. All of the girls loved him. He, was, he had it all. And I remember him standing up. He had observed what happened. He stood up quietly and just started picking up all my stuff off the ground. He gathered it, and then he came over and, and he handed it to me. And he must have been a bit of an old soul because he kind of said a grandpa-like thing where he said, Elizabeth, you are so tender-hearted. And he just handed me my stuff back. We carried on. But that moment, that moment stuck with me so deeply because there's so many ways that he could have stood up against these like oppressive people. <laughs> He could have fought back. He could have yelled at them and made a big scene and added to the chaos. He could have thrown things back at them. Like he could have really like taken control of the situation. But what he did was so much more powerful, so much more impactful. Instead of doing anything that gained power from himself, instead of adding into like, oh, these, these, they're making fun of, I guess I can make fun of her too, or I'm just going to ignore it. Instead, he said, I'm going to set a new example. And that was so much more lasting, so much more impactful than him trying to use his power for his own gain. And this is exactly what Peter is talking into. He talks about how to have a humble example, both in leadership and also in the way that we follow. So there might not be many of us here who are elders or leaders exactly in the way that Peter is describing here. But all of us lead and all of us follow in some areas of our life, maybe some more than others. But we're also living in a time where everyone's voice is able to be, <laughs> to be heard. And so to some degree, we all have some kind of leadership and, and power in our lives. And how are we, in the midst of a, a system that's broken, in the midst of a world where everyone is trying to, to get to the top, and everyone is trying to increase their own power and their own fame and their own success. How are we setting an example that counteracts that system, that truly shows the humility of Jesus in the midst of all of that? He continues on, and he, he reminds us that what we are fighting is not just flesh and blood, that it's, it's deeper than that, that there's a spiritual war that's happening. And part of what this does is that this reminds us that fighting back against people probably isn't going to really get to the root of the problem because there's something so much deeper that's happening. 
He says in verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And I'll be really honest, verses like this sometimes are a bit triggering for me because I have always had a tendency towards anxiety. And this started when I was very young, and I grew up in an environment where I heard a lot of scripture, and sometimes these scriptures were used to just like cover it up, right? And so I would start to get overwhelmed, maybe have a bit of an anxiety attack, start to get really worried about something, and then I would hear these verses like, don't worry, cast your worries to God, he's got it, <laughs> kind of covering up a little bit. But clearly, if we're looking at the context of this chapter, that's not at all what Peter is saying because he spent the last four, over four chapters talking and acknowledging the suffering that's happening. So it's not about ignoring it. It's not about sweeping it under the rug. And also, sometimes we see the other extreme of this too, where people will take verses like this almost as an excuse to not be responsible because it's like, oh, God's got it, so I don't need to do, do this or worry about this because he's just going to take care of it. Again, it doesn't look like that's what Peter is talking about because he's showing them, again, all of these actions and all of these ways that people can respond in the midst of these systems. So it's not that either. But we see that there are times when we get to the end of ourselves and we cannot control what's happening and there's nothing else we can really do. We can't just white knuckle our way through to fix it. And we need to remember that God does care for us. He is in it with us. When we were in the midst of that blizzard, um, one of the saddest things was that there were a lot of people in that area that were used to going through blizzards. So they're like, I know what to do. I'm just going to white knuckle my way through this. I'm just going to drive to my friend's house. Or I'm just going to, you know, they were ignoring all of these warning signs. The city of Buffalo was banning driving. Like, you will get a ticket, even though they, the police cars couldn't even go out, so they weren't really going to get a ticket. But you can't go out. People were like, I can do this. And honestly, we were those people at first until we quickly realized we no longer could white knuckle our way through it. And so then we gave in. We're like, okay, we're, we're done here. God, you provided this hotel for us. We're just going to bask in this for a few days. But unfortunately, there were many people who did not. And, and because of that, they were literally not surviving. And we could see, like, once the um, wind, it was, it was hurricane force winds, it was negative 40 degree weather, and over the course of those few days, there were six feet of snow. And once the kind of wind started dying down and we could see a little bit out of our hotel, we could see that there was car after car that had just been like buried in the middle of the street because they were thinking, I can do this, I can push through. 
I've done this before, I can do it again. And they didn't recognize that this thing was so much bigger than what they could handle and so much bigger than what they were capable of. But the beautiful thing is that he does care. He does see. Peter continues on, and he gives the greatest hope of all, and this is that Jesus will restore. That after all of the suffering, that after being in the lowest moments, that he will make something new. And again, Peter, if anyone, is qualified to talk about this. Because he was with Jesus at Jesus' lowest moments. He was with Jesus in his most humble moments when he was washing the feet of his disciples and when he was eating with sinners, when he was acting in the utmost of humility, but then also in the sufferings and the humility that led him to the cross. But then Peter also was with Jesus in his risen moments. Can you imagine eating breakfast with Jesus on the beach, like right after he's raised from the dead, and Peter got to be in those moments. So if anyone is able to witness to this, it's him, but also in Peter's own experience. So again, he was no stranger to pride. He was no stranger to humility. But what I love about the story of Peter is that when he had gotten to his lowest, and when he had this heart, this repentant heart of humility, after Jesus rose from the dead and he met with him, it was Peter that he came to and he said, on you, you are the rock that I'm going to build my church. If that's not being restored and uplifted and risen up, I don't know what is. And so if Peter tells um, the church at this time, we know that we can trust that he has experienced that. I remember the feeling after we had gone through these, these five days being stuck in this crazy situation, and after four months of being stuck away from home, and it seemed like thing after thing was happening, and it really felt like we had gotten to the end of ourselves, and we had tried to work our way through it, and there was a lot of responsibility and things that we needed to do, but at the end of the day, we weren't the ones who could make it happen. And when we came home and we were able to close on our house, there was this sense of we did everything we could, but at the end of the day, he was the one who provided. He was the one who got us through. He was the one who cared for us when we had nothing left. He was the one who saw us. He was the one who rose us up and will continue to do so. And this is the good news of Jesus is that we cannot do it. We cannot white-knuckle our way through it. We can't white-knuckle our way through salvation. We can't white-knuckle our way through life. We can't white-knuckle our way through fighting the broken systems of this world. But what we can do is step into the humility of Christ and then step into the restoration of Christ. 
Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.